electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, hunting for a bottom. Are we closer? And even more pressing for investors, when will you know it's okay to buy stocks again? Our investment committee on top of all of that. Joining me for the hour today, Jason Snipe, Pete Nigerian. He's the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. With me right here on set, Jenny Harrington and Degas Wright. Let's check the markets as we always do, where stocks are on pace for their 10th negative week in the last 11. And we've been kind of volatile this morning. I'm not, you know, big up or big down, but there's the Dow right now, which is down about 140. Uh, S&P's off a fifth of a percent there. you got the NASDAQ, uh, which is up almost 1%, we'll call it. 10,736. 10-year note yield is at 322. All right, Jenny Harrington. It has been a no good, downright horrible, feeling terrible kind of week. And yet you have a big smile on your face. What does that say about um, how, how you feel about where we are. Well, when you said, are we closer to a bottom? The easy answer is yes. We are 100% closer to a bottom. In a business where you can't make guarantees, you can guarantee that. We're closer to a bottom than we were in, in January and February. The way I look at this is, okay, maybe there's more downside to go. Maybe we trade down to 14 times multiple on $230 of S&P earnings. That gets us to about 3200 That would say we're down about 10% more from here. To me, that's that's a reasonable downside from here, but that means we've done two-thirds of the hard work already. That means that you can buy stocks at a fraction of the prices that you were buying them at before. Many of the investment theses on the companies that I was buying in the beginning of the year haven't changed. They're still in really great shape, but because the market's pulled back, because froth is coming out, dollars are coming out, interest rates are up, supply chains are screwed up, everything's tough right now, you have lots of great companies that are trading for a lot less than they were at the beginning of the year, and that makes me enthusiastic. One more thing on that, this market makes sense to me. What never made sense to me was Peloton trading at $178 a share. That actually scared me and made me uncomfortable. Bitcoin at 68,000 blew my mind. It was something I couldn't understand. But prices here and today, the S&P at 16 times, this is something I can live with. Okay. So, if, yeah. If, if your earnings number is right, if your multiple's right, and that, we'll get into that in a second because those are the open-ended questions that we simply don't know the answer to. We don't know, and we're not going to know for a while. Degas. Terrible yes. week. Terrible How do you week. feel today? I'm still concerned because I'm seeing the recession on the horizon. And so what we're doing is that we're doing tactical asset allocation, looking at where we're going to underweight technologies, financials, and also consumer discretionary because we're very cons- cons- concerned about that consumer. We're overweighting energy, material, healthcare, industrials, consumer staples, because that's where we're seeing some opportunities. Okay. Uh, Pete Nigerian, to you, uh, your brother has been in incredibly negative. Uh, in fact, you know, this week he became incrementally more uh, to the point yesterday, uh, you know, I don't remember a point in time in, in recent history where he was as negative as, as he sounded. 
Do you match up with, with John or, or not? You know, um, I'm more cautious than I would call me negative, but certainly, uh, you know, last week or so, Scott, you and I have talked about all the put activity that we have seen of late, right? We talked about the Spiders. We talked about the Russell, the IWMs. We talked about a lot of different ones, the EFA, all of those different ETFs out there where there was massive put buying. So that certainly was an indication that somebody out there thinks that this market has a little bit further to go. As a matter of fact, Scott, they've been rolling down, which is a very smart trade for somebody who wants to continue to be in that trade, you can roll down, take off some of your profits, put those in your pocket, and still have a position to the downside. So we've seen that happening as well. That on top of the fact that we've been looking at that volatility index and looking at the VXN. The VXNs are somewhere today, somewhere 36, 37. It's been over 40 already this week. It's been as high as 41. Then I look over at everybody's waiting for the VIX to get to 40. I don't think we have to wait for that. We've already seen the destruction that we've seen within the market over the last two weeks or so. I think what's happened in the last, call it two weeks, is when we look at what's really been getting sold, those areas in the market that we're holding up and finally, they're giving up a little bit. And I'm talking about Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Google, Amazon. Those names over the last just two weeks, Scott, mm -hmm. have been getting hammered pretty big. Yeah. So because of that, yeah, I tend to lean a little bit more negative. I wouldn't call myself ultra negative. I've got a reason to be a little bit more negative for you in a little while when we want to talk about volatility, if you want. Okay, and, and we will in a moment. Um, that brings me to you, Jason Snipe. You've heard everybody's comments and you've taken this week in yourself where does it leave you now thinking about whether we're close to a bottom or not because the ranges that you hear from people are well we're close to we could still go down another 600 or so points on the S&P which is unsettling no doubt about it. So yesterday, Scott, clearly was a, was a big-time flush in the market. And we have CPI behind us. We have a Fed decision behind us. You know, and, and if we talk about the Fed in, in catch-up mode right now, and we've, we've talked about data dependency for a long time, they saw that hot CPI number and had to push and felt like they had to push 75 basis points, right? Um, and we, we've talked about the next couple of heights kind of baked into the cake. The concern for me is what I don't think is baked into the cake, which is earnings revisions. We saw some pre-announcements from Microsoft. We saw some news from Target and Walmart, inventory problems, FX. These are kind of macro concerns for me as we, as we move forward. But to Jenny's point, I, I do think we're closer to a bottom today than clearly we were in January. So I think you have to bar bottle it with some defensive aspects of the market, as Degas mentioned. And I think you do have to look at some growth opportunities because I think they're starting to present themselves. Even if you are dollar cost averaging down over the next couple quarters, um, you'll be happier in the long run. So I think you just have to have a long view and just really grind this thing out. Yeah. So you, you do have a new buy and, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. And I don't want to reveal that quite yet because it's going to be grouped with somebody else on this panel who has a new buy that, that I know all of you want to know about as well. You raise a good point. How do you know the P price. You don't know the E. And we're not going to know the E for a while, the earnings, because earnings season doesn't start for a while. Now, as to whether we are near a bottom, whether we've had capitulation or not, whether yesterday was that moment, you didn't have 40 VIX, but you had a lot of other things lining up that suggest to some that we're close. Mark Newton, Fundstrat, among them, he'll join me in overtime to get more specific. But nonetheless, he's confident that markets are nearing the bottoming process. Three to five percent, he says, away from meaningful support. Barclay says no capitulation yet. A test of 3,500. 
is possible, even if you do get there, a sustained rally over the next few months is, is unlikely. Then a very interesting call from B of A's Michael Hartnett, who's been, I think, more right than most. He was looking for a big sell-off. He got it. He talks about positioning Jenny being uber bearish, but technicals are getting close. He says at SPX 3600, we're 60 points above that now, we nibble. At 3300, we bite. At 3000, we gorge. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean, the range of outcomes that people think the S&P 500 could get to. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. I think it's highly unlikely I don't want to say impossible because in this world nothing's impossible, but I think it's highly unlikely that we get to 3,000. But if we did, I'd be backing up the truck. I think the danger of, of that is waiting for us to get to 3,000. And I think that's where I tell people, you know, you should be putting money to work today. It's 20% cheaper than it was a few months than it was at the beginning of the year. I don't know that you put it all to work today, but I think you need to be very, very careful not to dig in too deep and wait for 3,000 because you may never see that. But if we do, that's kind of like your March 2020, your March 23rd, 2020, or your, I don't remember which date it was, December 2018, where it's just stupid cheap, you know, where you're trading at 14 times, it's dislocated, there's actual capitulation. Even I want to cry, and you all know I, nothing makes me cry. I'm usually cheering <laughs> these markets, but when I want to cry, yeah, I think that's when capitulation's here. So, um, Jason Snipe, yeah. I, I want to ask you the, the question this way, I guess, because, you know, everybody wants to sell when the market's falling out of bed and it looks like it's going to go down and you want to preserve the capital you have and then it goes down a lot. And then you never know when that moment is to get back in because you're too afraid to do so because you think it's going to go even lower than that. So my question to you is, how are we going to know? How are the viewers going to know when, when it's the time to buy beyond looking at just the heart net levels? Right. You can throw any level out there and say, well, when it gets to that level, that's the signal. But it needs to be deeper than that. Do, do we need to see energy prices come down? Is that it? Do we need to see a clearer sign overall that inflation is peak? Do we need to wait to earnings and see what the guidance is going to be? Do we need to wait and see estimates really come down because they, they have not? Do we simply look at oversold conditions and suggest, well, stocks are cheap, 40% of the S&P is at a 52-week low? What's the signal? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I honestly think it, it has a lot to do with CPI. I mean, in, inflation is the raging storm that we're all dealing with as, as investors, as managers. I think that, that is the big deal here. So we've, we've talked about peak inflation. Clearly, we've been wrong. At least I've been wrong on the panel talking about that. Um, so I think as inflation begins to moderate and, and abate some, obviously, you're seeing a little bit of that in core you know, but but energy and food pricing, that's that's where the numbers are really coming from and shelter costs as well. So I think when that starts to to abate some, I think then you will feel more comfortable uh, in terms of moving into the market. But I'll, I'll also say my, in my other point, in terms of just dollar cost averaging into the market, you don't want to wait until all of these things happen. I think we could start to see some signaling soon, hopefully in the next couple of quarters. But I do think it's appropriate now to start to dollar cost average into the market if you have some cash on the sidelines and, and look to greener pastures ahead. See, you know, and even though that's, that might take some time, but I think it's, I think you should be looking at that as a, as an investment strategy. See the Pete, the, 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 the problem with my list, whether it's energy coming down, whether it's clear sign inflation is peaked, whether it's earnings and guidance and then estimates coming down, you don't get good answers to those questions for a couple of weeks. There are no great data points yeah. coming up for a couple of weeks. 
either on inflation, PCE, CPI, earnings start in July. Maybe you'll start to get revisions when, you know, the rubber meets the road. Reality sets in for those who refuse to do it so far. How would you answer that question? What's the moment? It's not an exact science of just looking at levels. What is it? Right. Uh, well, I would say that uh, in agreement with the, the, the commentary about oil and the price of oil, I think that right now is by far the biggest component of what we're looking at here because it's not just us at the pump, Scott. It's all those places around the country, and we hear about it all the time, transportation costs, fuel costs, diesel fuel, all of that. And it cascades into just about every part of the rest of our lives, right? Whether it's grocery items, whatever it might be, it's, it is affecting things in a monstrous way right now. And that, I think, is the reason why we have to see a sustained move to the downside. And I think something, I think, for instance, uh, crude would have to be well under 100. And I think it has to be sustained under there. We've pulled back before only to just return right back up to 120. So it's not like we can, we can just sit there and say, oh, it's under 100. Here we go. I think that is the biggest issue right now because when we looked at that CPI number, it was something that was jarring for everybody. And certainly we saw exactly how the markets reacted to that. And most of that, everybody says, you know, it's going to be, you know, fuel and, and, and food. Well, it's really more on the gas, the fuel side of things, and, and all of the different components that that brings. So that's the, ma the major one that I would be looking at for any kind of a turn. Now, those turns do take a little bit of time, Scott, and it's going to take a little bit of time for something like this. I think we'll get some you know, very volatile moves, of course, but that's why we're seeing volatility kind of creeping a little bit higher, a little bit higher, holding around that 32 level. 40 is not as big a deal to me as it is for the rest of the world. I think it's just a matter of the, the, the velocity of that move. Does it spike and then pull back? Or what is the move that we're going to see that's actually going to be that move in volatility? I think, I think it's not something that's going to sustain very long once we do get, if we do get up past 40. See, Degas, too, you, you, we can't answer the question of soft landing for a while. If, if that's what this is all about. If that's what the whole debate in the market is about, whether the Fed's going to break something on the way to try and fix inflation, we're not going to have true answers to that for a long time. Jeremy Siegel told me yesterday in overtime he already thinks we're in a mild recession. Bullard of the Fed says a soft landing is feasible. We're going to wait until we have more definitive answers to that question before we deploy money in this market? Scott, you have to deploy money now. And so because every day you should be looking at the, the market. One of the things that we've noticed is that as the company's multiples come back down, we're looking at a 10-year average. But you look at a 10-year multiple before the pandemic. That's when you start really measuring because we're saying that, for instance, Apple. Apple's at about a 19 multiple now. Before the pandemic, the 10-year average for Apple was 15. That says Apple could come down a little bit more. Likewise, Microsoft is at a multiple right now of 23, 10-year average pre-pandemic was 25. Mm -hmm. Microsoft is a little bit closer to where you could actually buy based off a multiple. That's how we're looking at this market. Plus, we're looking at estimates revisions. Okay. Jenny, mm -hmm. Ron Barron, billionaire investor, sends an email. I think he sent it to Squawk. Uh, huge once-in-a-generation once buying opportunity is how he saw the market. You, this is a huge once-in-a-generation buying opportunity, huge monstrous opportunity following June 2022 uh, crash. Do you agree with that statement? I mean, sure, if you have the lifespan of a mouse, right? We had a huge buying opportunity two years ago. We had a huge buying opportunity four years ago. We had a huge one in But I mean, if your time horizon's five years, for example. I mean, it's silly. 
I, I think to say huge once in a generation. No, this is just a, to me, this is a run of the mill, bear market, pullback. I don't think that things are going to be terribly dislocated to the 2008, 2009 levels. Well, to let me, me ask you this though. Okay. If, if you, so I don't, I don't have the full context of what Mr. Barron had to say, mm -hmm. and I don't know how he thinks about the idea of soft landing or not, but it's only a huge and generational buying opportunity in my mind if you don't have a recession. So let me pose it to you that way. Okay. If we have a soft landing, is he right? Is this then a generational buying opportunity because the markets come down way too much, factoring in what feels like a steep recession? That's what the market feels like it's pricing in at this point. So I've been in this business for 25 years. I've had some serious, nasty markets. To me, this is a run-of-the-mill buying opportunity, right? And that might be a little bit unfair, a little bit callous, but we've been through the dot-com collapse, we've been through 0809, we've been through the um, we've been through the pandemic. It's just a buying opportunity. I don't think we should over-dramatize what's going on right now. What's going on right now is a simple, and again, I could get picked on for saying simple, but it's simply too much money was put into the economy, too much money found its way into, into different markets, and now it's being taken out. There was too much froth. This is not something like the pandemic. To me, that's a once in a generation experience. This is not that. This is, we got frothy, we're taking it out. Multiples got extended, they're reconciling themselves. Right, but the question is, is whether we've taken too much out, right? No. Whether we, whether we no. Jason, have, have overdone it to the downside Not because we priced in the most worst case scenario it, it, it feels like if you if you look at where stocks go however there are some who suggest we haven't even priced in the worst because we haven't priced in the level or to the degree that earnings could have to reset and then what the multiple would be on the on the top of of those kind of earnings which was alluded to earlier this week if you're at 250 you take 20 percent you get 200 and then if you put a 15 multiple on that you've got 3,000 in the S&P. That's why it's like a guessing game. And then I wonder whether you look at what happened in energy this week, whether that's a warning sign, so to speak, a worry point or a huge buying opportunity because oil stocks, energy stocks are down 16 percent week to date. Yeah. So if I think about energy as an example, just to address the bottom end of your question, I mean, energy a week and a half ago was up 50 percent year to date. So part of it is um, could be some portfolio management here, just taking a little bit off the top. It's run a ton. It's the only bull market that's existed um, really this year. And then as we kind of get into this multiple conversation, you know, Degas mentioning uh, Microsoft and Apple. And if I'm just thinking about the market overall, I mean, the market coming into the market this year is at 20 time, 22 times forward. It's now at 15 times forward. Now it could have some more room to the downside. And I think obviously that's what we're all trying to figure out. But ultimately, as we've said um, oftentimes on the show, you know, none of us could really call the, the bottom, you know, but I think you know, as I as I relate to my points that I've made earlier in terms of just dollar cost averaging into this market, we're closer today than we were in January. And I think that's important. And even if you look at the headwinds going forward um, and, and looking at inflation and, and looking at what the Fed is doing, at some point, the rubber will meet the road. Either it's going to be a recession to your point, stock, uh, Scott, either there's, you know, it's, they're going to be able to lane the plane um, gently here. Um, but I think with all that being said and trying to look past that and just having a, uh, you know, forward forward looking view, I think you have to say this is a time where I, I need to look at some stocks, look at some some names that have come down um, and really be selective. Right. Because I think some names have come out a lot 
further than others. Mm -hmm. And I think there, there will be some op opportunities of quality folks there. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Up next, we have today's halftime headliner, BMO's Brian Belsky. We're back in just two minutes right here on The Half. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. All right, welcome back. Despite the S&P 500 pacing for its worst week since March of 2020, our next guest, guest, is still calling for more than 30% upside into year-end. You heard me correctly. He is Brian Belsky of BMO. Mr. Belsky, welcome back. It's nice to see you. Thank you so much for having us, Scott. So, we really appreciate it. I was thinking about my question, my first question to you in this prior commercial break, and the best I could come up with is nothing about this market justifies your S&P 500 target of 4,800. Nothing about this market justifies your earnings projection of $245. And nothing about this market justifies your multiple of near 20 times at 19.6. So how do you justify it? It's a great question. Thanks for teeing that up. You know, uh, we've been wrong. And with much humility, we've lost our clients' money this year. It's very difficult to have these conversations. But I will tell you this, Scott, and I'll answer the question. If you take a look at our nine portfolios that we have the very good fortune of running for BMO, our AUM is up this year in a down market and underperforming market. What does that mean? We have the trust of our clients through a long-term process and discipline that we've been doing this for years, at 10 years at BMO and 33 years on Wall Street. And you must persevere. And how do you persevere? You persevere through a process and a discipline. Now, that is your opinion of those three matters. We would say this on all of them. You are basing uh, your 4,800 target uh, on and, and being negative with respect to my 4,800 target on what we know right now. And you're playing into how the market is acting because we are so inclined to what's happening 
right now, and we are not positioned for any kind of good news. We're positioned for, for inflation to stay at this 8 or 9% handle for a long time. If you go back and look the last 30 years, the average inflation is somewhere around 4%. The Fed came out and said what their targets are in the low fives, and I think the Fed is, is still the, is the thing to listen to. The Fed has lost a lot of credibility. Everybody keeps talking about it. But no one was giving the Fed uh, crap in March of 2020 when they did what they did. So I think we're not positioned for, uh, as a marketplace, Scott, for what's coming. We're not positioned for a positive surprise. On the earnings front, okay, for the last 10 years, the average growth rate in terms of S&P 500 companies has been 10%. But the numbers coming in to those average years since 2009 is something around 7 or 8%. Companies have consistently for a decade undershot their earnings, underpromised and overdelivered. Doesn't mean that we're not going to see some earning weakness. Doesn't mean that we're exactly going to hit the 245 number, but I'll, we are not going to be $200 earnings. Right now we're pacing at $230 earnings. And oh, by the way, if you take a look at numbers the last uh, 30 days, energy is up 10 full percentage points in terms of 2022 earnings. Uh, materials are up 800 basis points, so eight full percentage points. Consumer discretionary stocks are only down 2%. And communication services, which is another sector that's been down, which, oh, by the way, we upgraded. We think it's a great bottom fishing idea here, down a, a, a buck and a half, so a percentage and a half. Technology has actually been very strong. So remember, when you take a look at earnings, it's a contribution to earnings. And I know Deegan was talking about Microsoft and Apple. Uh, these companies are, are, are earnings machines and cash flow machines. And the key thing is that their earnings have been increasingly stable versus a lot of the high multiple tech stocks that we've said on your air and other shows that we think the very high multiple, no growth, no earnings uh, are going to be dead for five years. I think those names are going to be dead for a while as investors kind of come back to more stable. So I still think that we're achievable. Flat is the new up. I think we're going to have a surprise in the second half that no one's positioned for. This is me not being Pollyanna. I don't come on your broadcast when I'm right when the market's bullish and do a happy dance. Uh, we don't do that. We're humble on the upside. We're humble on the downside. And that's where we're going to stick with. So, and, and, and I have and will um, give you credit when you're right. I mean, I, I have and I do, and I, and I would again. You sort of dismissed my question by suggesting it was, it was just my opinion. I would suggest to you that, well, maybe it's my opinion, but it's based on facts. And the fact of the matter is that every piece of economic data that's come out has been weaker. Every piece. And I would suggest to you as well that the next shoe to drop, and I think we're already getting whiffs of it, is the consumer. And that if you look at you, Mish, consumer sentiment was horrific. So bad, in fact, Brian, that it forced the Fed to do what it did with 75 rather than 50. Why do I know that? Because Jay Powell himself said it. They were stunned by that number, and it helped them shape their Fed policy. Housing prices are rolling over. We know that inflation is taking a terrible toll on the people who are watching this program. So I would suggest to you that it's based on fact, not simply just my opinion that I pulled out of, you know, below the desk. So here's my retort. There's this classic formula in investing, Scott. Stocks lead earnings, which lead the economy. 
by the time the things happen in the economy, the stock market's already discounted that. The, the, marketing, the market discounting uh, mechanism is well in place. The stock market, we believe, as I said to you on air a few weeks ago when you pushed me about the bear market, I said stocks are already treating, uh, acting like a bear market. Whether or not we get to that academic bear market definition is a moot point. And I was right on that because obviously we did hit the bear market side of things. But the market's already discounting what we've seen in the economic slowdown. Now, economic data is backward looking, and, but we remain so massively reactive to numbers that happened before. Again, if we see any kind of, of, of pressure come off of really the three factors, what has led to this inflation, number one, oil prices, number two, uh, supply chain, and number three, China, two out of the three, we're seeing already cyclical changes in, in number two and three. The next, the next shoe that needs to drop is we've talked. You heard it we were talking about it earlier on the show. A sustainable drop below, let's call it $100 on oil. That would be very positive. And again, that's our base case. We do not think inflation is going to be what everybody else thinks at the end of the year, and that's what's going to drive the market higher. Now, I mean, I agree with you obviously that any uh, positive on, on inflation, uh, war in, in Ukraine is going to be a overwhelmingly net positive to the market. And I'm, I'm also not suggesting to you that what I said to you in the, in the, in the, the points that I made implies that we're uh, definitely going into a recession. Um, but the mark, that's where the market is. We could yep. have a, a soft landing. And if, in fact, we do, your target may be right. The problem with that is we're probably not going to know for a while. Um, and this could end up being... Um, you know, a, a, a bad year for, for stocks. It just seems to me that earnings at 245, um, I, I just can't look at that number with a straight face and think that it's real, that well, expectations are, are have to come down. They may not go to 200, <clears throat> but 245? I, I, I think that, honestly, uh, this, this notion of 15, 15 PE and, and getting to a 3,000 target on earnings, I, I think that's scare tactics, Scott. I really do. And I, I, can't, I, I can't support that. If you go back and look at since my career started in 1990, you know, the average multiple on the market on the trailing basis, forward multiples, uh, if you do the work, you'll see that forward multiples actually are not very good at predicting what happens with respect to the market. With trailing, the average trailing multiple on the S&P 500 since 1990 is 20. The average trailing multiple since since um, the Great Recession uh, and the credit crisis, 19. The average 10-year Treasury uh, in that time frame, where the majority of Wall Street's only been in the business 10 years, 2.25 percent. That's why people are freaked out. If you look at since 1990, when I got in the business, four and a quarter. What's happening is the great transition, I call it, back to normalcy. This is going to take several years, Scott. This is the shock and awe. Part of, part of the process. We had our cyclical bear market, which we can have cyclical bears within a secular bull. I just published on this on, on Wednesday. All of this is healthy. Whether or not uh, this is a generational buying opportunity, of course, I think it is. But I think uh, you should always do dollar average cost down. And you should always, in these times, which we did in our portfolios when we revised our target, we became much more value-oriented and much more growth at a reasonable price-oriented. On a day like yesterday, we outperformed in six out of our nine mandates. Because we tightened up our positions, because we became a little bit more conservative, and because we became very, very stock-picking-oriented and not try to follow the market, you want to match a low P.E. stock with a higher P.E. stock to get to a multiple in your portfolio that's below the market, and that's how we're running our portfolios. We'll leave it there.
I appreciate your time. You know I do. Uh, as always, Brian Belsky, um, I hope our viewers learned something from the conversation. I mean, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. You remain one of the more bullish and with the loft, some of the loftiest targets that I've seen. And we'll see if it's right or not. Well, thank you. I, again, it's been humbling, but we will persevere and get through this because that's the only way we know, we know how to do it. Yep. And I appreciate your time as always. That's BMO's Brian Thanks. Belsky joining us. So the headlines now with John Ford. Hey, John. <clears throat> hey, Scott. And good afternoon. Here is our CNBC News update at this hour. The FBI warning that fraudsters who exploit LinkedIn to lure users into cryptocurrency investments pose a significant threat to the platform and to consumers. Uh, criminals are posing as professionals, creating fake profiles and initiating conversations on LinkedIn messaging. They then offer to help the victim make money through a crypto investment. The Food and Drug Administration announcing approval for both the Pfizer-BioNTech and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines for young children. However, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention still need to sign off before shots can be administered. The vaccines would be given to children six months to five years old. And the Michigan Supreme Court today rejected a final appeal from sports doctor Larry Nasser, who was sentenced to decades in prison for sexually assaulting gymnasts, including Olympic medalists. Attorneys for Nasser argued he was treated unfairly in 2018 and a new hearing was deserved. Scott, back to you. Very much, John Ford. The investment committee is making moves. We are going to hit those trades next in two minutes on the Halftime Report. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. We are back. I teased a couple of times these moves that the uh, committee members are making. And, Jenny, we begin with you. You bought Lamar Advertising to the dividend portfolio with a yield of? Five and a half percent. Okay, talk to me. So you may remember this is one that I'd originally bought in 2014, sold last year at $100 a share when it had a 3% dividend yield. Fast forward a year later, stock's about 30-plus percent off its highs. They've jacked the dividend to $4.80 a share. This is a really cool company. If you think you don't know it, you do. Whenever you drive anywhere, look at the billboards. A huge percentage of them are owned by Lamar. There's a little green thing at the bottom that says Lamar. They own a lot of digital billboards, which are incredibly profitable. And what you can do here, and this is why I like buying this in this market, is you can look to 0809. And you can see that in 08, they were earning $1.2 billion. In 09, that dropped 1.0 billion. You can stress test for a long, prolonged recession. You can look to the pandemic. In the pandemic, 2019, they were earning 1.63 billion. 2020, 1.56 billion. Now they're up to $2 billion of revenues. It is a terrific company. Sean Riley, the CEO, presented at a JP Morgan conference a few weeks ago. I've followed it forever. I have never heard him more enthusiastic. So here you go, $7 and change of funds from operations, $4.80 dividend, um, 
5.5% yield. I don't know what more I could give you in this kind of environment. Mm. I don't either. I mean, it sounds to me like you're trying to make a recession-proof case without making a recession-proof case. It's pretty awesome. And one of the reasons it came back so much was, remember, Snap had that nasty announcement a few weeks ago? It tanked on that. And what I think happens is this gets swept up with everything. It's considered an advertising company. It's considered exposure to the consumer. But it's really different. It's just a different dynamic. It's a different kind of advertising. So this is where you dig in, you look at the company specifics, and you find a gem. I'm looking at it right now, but I'm trying to see what the performance is uh, of late. So oh, it's, it's down almost 30% year to date. So what you're also suggesting to me is that the stock is already it, pulled mm-hmm. back in anticipation of the slowdown. Right. Okay. Right. So that's why I was saying, well, why do it now? Why don't you wait and see what really happens with the economy? But you're also saying, well, the stock's already moved. Well, that gets to another point that you made earlier when you said we've got all these questions coming in. There won't be good answers answers for several months. I think the thing is, once we get good answers, the market's going to have taken. Yeah, off see that, 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 that that's that's why I sort of in in, in part pose that that mm-hmm. question. It's like if you're going to wait, you, you if waiting? you think you're going to wait until we have a definitive answer on, on soft landing or not, the market's likely moving well ahead of of you. Right. Yeah. And that's where they always say investors look out nine to 12 months. Mm. So you buy this, you look out nine to 12 months, you look out, frankly, tomorrow on this one. Okay. You've got a pretty decent picture. Jason Snipe, um, you have a new buy, tell me. Yeah, I, uh, I bought AutoZone. I, I sold it actually last summer and bought it again uh, this week. Honestly, I think I, what I'm looking at as an aging car fleet out there, average age of a car is 12 years. And if we're looking at the consumer and the consumer pushback on pricing, you know, auto pricing. We looked at auto sales last month, which, were, which was a big miss there. So I think whether you're putting masking tape on these cars or doing whatever you need to do to keep them on the road, I think an auto zone is a good play here. And they're continuing to grow in the commercial space, trading at 17 times forward. I like this name here. All right. Good stuff. Bitcoin losing more than half of its value this year. Today, there is a report that one big fund is under some serious pressure. We're going down to Miami next for the very latest. Our own Kate Rooney doing some investigative reporting on that. We're back on the half right after this. Well, it's been a rough week. Bitcoin is on pace for its worst week since March of 2020, with the broader crypto decline reportedly leaving at least one crypto-focused hedge fund on the brink. Our Kate Rooney is in Miami tracking the price action and the fallout for us following the money, Kate. Hey, Scott. Yeah, that's right. We're seeing a lot of collateral damage in crypto lending right now as prices drop. The big focus of the week, hedge fund Three Arrows Capital. In an interview with The Wall Street Journal, the CEO or co-founder, I should say, saying that the firm is considering liquidating assets or a bailout. It's working on solutions uh, for investors and lenders after being caught off sides on the recent sell-off. The fund had a major position in Luna. If you remember that so-called stable coin, it was backed by other cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin. That collapsed in Three Arrows, saying that really caught them off guard, very much off guard, as they put it. The issues at Three Arrows also spilling over to counterparties ahead of crypto prime broker Genesis tweeting just now that it mitigated some losses with a large counterparty that failed to meet a margin call. Doesn't say explicitly that that was Three Arrows. Could be another hedge fund, but it sold all collateral to minimize its downside. Trading firm BitMEX telling me it also had Three Arrows with a collateralized debt position outstanding on that platform, also liquidated, and then BlockFi CEO confirming a large client failed to meet its obligations on an over-collateralized loan. They liquidated uh, an associated 
trade there and some collateral. So having effects here, ripple effects in the crypto markets elsewhere in crypto lending. We also had Babel Finance suspending withdrawals and transfers due to what they called unusual liquidity pressures. It comes after Celsius made a similar move last week. All of this, guys, highlights the risk of leverage in crypto right now. There's some of these really high-yielding products that have almost no transparency into where you're getting that 18 or 20% yield in some cases and where that comes from. These products also tend to have lockup periods, I'm told by sources. That is causing some of the issues here. So if they got into one of these protocols, it says, oh, you've got to hold it for a year. You have to lock up your your assets here. Sometimes they can't liquidate if customers are all rushing to, to the door. One effect, though, people are looking now to custody their own assets. They don't want the risk of a counterparty and uh, seeing what's playing out here. But a lot of collateral damage, again, Scott, that we're seeing you, this week. Let me ask you sort of not really your opinion, but based on your reporting. I mean, it's, it's a, a fabulous looking live shot in what is <laughs> the epicenter, I think you could say, of the crypto culture now in, in this country, right? The mayor has embraced it there. The conferences go uh, to Miami to be in the, in the center of it all. I'm wondering privately from the people you talk to down there how low they think Bitcoin is actually going to go. So there is definitely a sense of sobriety, if you want to call it that, in crypto investors right now. They really were, especially young investors who got in, have only seen a bear market and see prices go up. The realization that I'm hearing is that investing, it's really hard. Prices don't just go up. They're having this realization that if they're going to be in this for the long term, they are going to have to deal with a lot of the volatility. So that's really what they're saying privately. The other thing we're hearing, uh, we talked to the mayor as well, that uh, there is some long-term bullishness. They're talking about valuations and the idea that there's maybe a little bit more of an opportunity here than there was six months ago. In terms of Bitcoin, people, I think, are just waiting for that bottom. They're talking about every conversation I have, they say, okay, well, you know, it's got a bottom at some point. And I think they're just looking for that moment and hoping that we're there. But I don't think anybody at this point knows. I'm not getting the sense that they're really confident that we have hit a bottom. No, same as uh, trying to get people to, to say where the bottom is in stocks. Kay Rooney, I appreciate it very much. <laughs> Thank you for that. As some suggest Thanks, that Scott. the stock market can't bottom until Bitcoin bottoms. That's the a view of Guggenheim Scott Minard earlier in the week. Straight ahead, a bullish call on a stock Jenny recently bought. We'll debate that in our call of the day. Up next, plus all June, we are celebrating Pride Month. Here's Susie Orman, the money lady. Susie Orman here. You probably know me as the money lady. But did you know that 51 years ago, when I was only 20, I told everybody that I was a lesbian. I had the courage to stand in my truth, and from that day on, everything in my life started to skyrocket. So don't be afraid to be who you are. Don't be afraid to stand in your truth, and always do it with pride. Take care. Let's talk about some of the calls of the day. Uber and Lyft. Reiterated by today at Evercore, the firm saying its rideshare survey paints an optimistic view of that industry. Jenny, we bring it up today, uh, especially because you recently bought it, as I hope our viewers uh, remember. You bought it at $22. Right. Tell me about this call. Price so, target 74 So I think this is neat to think of the bigger conversation that we've been having. Nothing's changed in the investment thesis. The investment thesis was they're at an inflection point that's going to allow them to become very profitable. They should generate over $2 billion of free cash flow next year. That's a 6% free cash flow yield. So you know what? Do you wait for the market to go to 3,000 or 3,300? No, you say, thank you, Mr. Market, for giving me a gift. Jenny bought it at 22 and change a couple weeks ago. Now I get to buy it at 21 and change. You buy this here because it is a great company with 20% revenue growth ahead of it. 
You price, don't wait for the broader market. Price target's big, 74 to 21 and a half. Next, NVIDIA added to the franchise picks list at Jeffries. Degas, you own NVIDIA. They say their suite of software solutions remains a largely underappreciated growth opportunity. Price target, 370. Reiterate, buy. With NVIDIA, we're seeing it at about a 48% multiple. It's a little bit high. We feel that NVIDIA can come down from this level because we're seeing about 6% of the analysts are saying that they're lowering the earnings estimates. So we're still concerned. It's a good hold. It could go down further. Okay. Uh, Pete Najarian, Wells Fargo with a big call on housing. How much lower can stocks go? We're lowering estimates across the board. That's the headline. They take your D.R. Horton. D.R. Horton price target goes to 73 from 86. They still go overweight on it, um, which is interesting. They they still love it, but they cut the price target. And it's about 20 percent downside from here. Yeah, and that makes sense, Scott. And they give an upside of about 19% on this. So that's that's pretty bullish still. But that stock's been absolutely hammered. I would say this. All you got to do is look at that 30-year. It went from 5.5 to 6.25 in one week. So knowing that, we need that 30-year to come back down a little bit, the mortgages. And if we can, then we'll see that stock start to move to the upside again. If not, it's probably trapped here for a while, Scott. Okay. All right. Pete has unusual activity coming up next. Let's do it, Pete. Unusual. All right. I'm going to start off with utility play, Vistra. Now, this one, Scott, out of Dallas, Texas. Interesting stock. It's been kind of wavering around near this 20 level, near 22. And they're buying the July 25 uh, calls. They bought 25,000 of those calls. Pretty aggressive buying there, 30 cents, so not an expensive trade necessarily, but a nice sizable trade. They did hedge that trade, selling an upside call against it. My second trade for you is Ford. Now, somebody thinks, despite the fact that this stock was at a 52-week low today, that there might even be a little bit more coming. They bought 41,000 of the July 11 puts, right where the stock is, trading about 11 bucks. They bought those puts for about 75 cents. So pretty aggressive playing there, looking for even more downside after Ford was up there in the 20s, then came back. Somebody thinks it's going a little bit lower, Scott. All right, Pete, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. Let's do it, Pete. Unusual. All right. I'm going to start off with utility play, Vistra. Now, this one, Scott, out of Dallas, Texas. Interesting stock. It's been kind of wavering around near this 20 level, near 22. And they're buying the July 25 uh, calls. They bought 25,000 of those calls. Pretty aggressive buying there, 30 cents. So not an expensive trade necessarily, but a nice sizable trade. They did hedge that trade, selling an upside call against it. My second trade for you is Ford. Now, somebody thinks, despite the fact that this stock was at a 52-week low today, that there might even be a little bit more coming. They bought 41,000 of the July 11 puts right where the stock is, trading about 11 bucks. They bought those puts for about 75 cents. So pretty aggressive playing there, looking for even more downside after Ford was up there in the 20s, then came back. Somebody thinks it's going a little bit lower, Scott. All right, Pete, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. Overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern today. That's three hours from now. We have Mark Newton of Fundstrat on. I I referenced a call of his at the very top of our program today. Uh, Nearing a bottoming process is what he said. We will discuss that in, uh, in more detail 
how much more stocks really need to go down and where he says they can bounce to from there. Uh, Jim Labenthal will be with me as well, Dan Greenhouse, and I hope all of you will be too. Let's do final trades. Pete, understand you got a move you, you just made, uh, so why don't you start us off with that? I did, but I legged into it, and here's what I saw. First of all, earlier today, 94,000 of those puts that, or those calls that were bought just last week in the volatility index, June 8th, they bought them. 50 Cent is the nickname of that guy. He mm. paid 50 cents, sold them today for a buck and a quarter, but then decided to buy the July 60 puts or calls, rather. So continually looking for even more to the upside. That means Spider going to the downside. I bought some Spider puts as we were sitting here today, August 320. So I'm looking at those, and I think we're going to go a little bit lower, Scott. Okay. Is that actually your final trade, or you have something else also? The, the spider is my final trade. I bought those put, puts during the show. Okay, good stuff, Pete. Thank you. Jason Snipe, what's yours? Yep. Thanks. I like Donner, Dollar General here in the face of ongoing inflation and supply chain issues. They're maintaining their margins between 8 and 10%. I think it's a good hold. Okay. Degas, what do you got for me? Viva Systems, cloud-based application for healthcare research, and the analysts are increasing the estimates. Okay. And last but not least, Jenny Harrington. B&G Foods, the maker of paste pecani sauce and B&G baked beans. They have an eight and a quarter percent yield. They trade at 14 times earnings and they've just done some really smart corporate repositioning. Okay. We are going to, I will see all of you soon. Uh, we're going to see how this day unfolds. It's been a tough week, I know, uh, for all of you. Uh, no doubt about that. We're down like 10 of 11 weeks. We will see where this day shakes out. Right now, the Dow is negative by about 39 points. The S&P is off by about, or pardon me, it's a positive by five. NASDAQ hanging on to a gain as well. Seeing a few, the exchanges now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.